because he took on no fewer than eight identities, that from an airline pilot to a doctor, a U.S. Bureau of Prisons agent, and a lawyer, plus a few more. He managed to escape from police custody twice, once from taxiing an airliner, and once from a U.S. federal penitentiary. And he did all of this before he was 21 years old. Pretty smart guy. There are so many things in our world nowadays that are fake. Now, I did a quick Google search. I typed in how to fake dot, dot, dot. And within a couple of seconds, I had more than 3 million responses. Now, I know everybody's Google search is a little different, but the first 10 that I saw were, first of all, how to fake sick to work. Now, if you work for Raja, there's no way to fake sick for work, but some of you may have tried that before. The second one is how to fake sleep. Now, I have a four-year-old who's really good at that one. How to fake a hairstyle. How to fake a hot body. How to fake a clean house. I did bookmark that one for later. How to fake a book deal and get away with it. Not sure how that was in my feed. And my favorite, how to fake a moon landing. <laughs> now, I did some more research, and I actually found this product that's called Fake Mud in a Can. So a couple of guys in the UK who live in London had bought really nice SUVs. And the purpose of buying these SUVs is so they could spend their weekends off-roading and just having adventures. But somewhere along the line, life got in the way and they spent most of their Saturdays watching Netflix and going to their kids' soccer games. And so in an attempt to convince people that they were using their SUVs for these adventures, they created a product called Fake Mud in a Can, where you could actually spray down your SUV with mud at the end of the weekend and show everybody that you've actually been out on your adventures when really you weren't. And this product retails for $15 a can. Can you imagine selling mud for $15 a can just to fake out some people? There is always something that we're trying to do to get people to believe we're somebody that we're not. Now, I got married before the time of internet dating being an acceptable way of meeting other people. But internet dating sites claim that 80% of people on there have faked their profiles. And that the most popular things to fake are their age, their height, and their weight. Now... Again, I'm not really into the internet dating scene, but I'm not really sure how you can claim to be 6'3 when you're going to show up on your date and be 5'3. Like, something's going wrong there. And it's not just dating. How about resumes? 40% of people lie on their resumes. And the most common things they lie about, first of all, is how much money they've made in a previous job. And secondly, is their education. I mean, you can't really fake a master's degree when you barely graduated from high school. But there are just so many different places where people are faking their lives. And it's sad to say that church is just one of those many places. I know for me growing up in the church, uh, from the time I was very young, it was just understood that you didn't actually come to church as the person that you really were. And I was the rebellious, spirited child in my family. And uh, that only grew as I got older. And I remember many times as a teenager having my parents say to me, 
What would people at church think if they knew what you were really like? What would the elders in the church say about your pastor father if they knew what kind of a child we had? It's sad that that's the way that church is. If we're all just merely putting on a good front and pretending to be something that we're not, that we might as well just sleep in on a Sunday morning. Recently, I went back to school to finish my master's degree for real, not just so I could fake it on my resume. And uh, I was taking a course um, on ministry, and our professor had us break up into groups based on our age. So there was the 20-somethings, the 30-somethings, the 40-somethings, and the people who don't want to admit how old they are. And our professor asked us to make a list of the top five things that we think that people are looking for in a church. And there was only one thing that showed up on every list, and that was authenticity. No matter who you are or where you're at, we have an ingrained desire to be an authentic community with other people. And as believers, we're called to do that. So today we're going to take a look at some of the reasons why God wants us to be authentic with each other. Now, in true authenticity, I suck at this, so let's see how it goes. (laughs) Okay, number one, we all struggle. We all have sin in our lives. I'm just going to read to you from the book of Matthew, chapter 7. This is a scripture that is probably very familiar to you, but just to give you some background, while Jesus was on the earth, he spent a lot of time defying the rules of what was acceptable and what was not, who you could spend time with and who you couldn't, who you should be and who you actually were. And he was often talking to the Pharisees about the fact that they were pretending to be people that they weren't. He said, do not judge and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of the speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye, and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And in the book of 1 John, John was writing to a group of Christians there. And he says this in verse 1-8. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. So I believe from these verses that there's three groups of people. The first are the people who actually believe that they have no sin in their life. No sinful nature, no need for God. There's the second group of people who actually claim to have reached a point where they no longer struggle with sin at all. And then there's a third group, which explains most of us, which are those people who know they have sin in their life, but they don't feel that they can share it, and so they cover it up. We may admit that we have a past where we struggled with sin in the past, but we no longer want people to believe that as followers of Jesus, that we still struggle with sin. I know, for example, in my own life, 
where I can tell you I was a rebellious teenager because I was, but I was also rebellious in my 20s, and I was also rebellious in my 30s, and I'm sure I will be rebellious in my 40s. It's very easy to say, I used to struggle with this, but I don't anymore. But to say, I'm still struggling with this is much more difficult. And what happens when we stop admitting that we have sin in our lives is we start pointing out sin in other people's lives. That's what Jesus is saying in the first set of scripture. We need to get rid of our own sin before we start looking at other people's. Back in the 90s, way back when, there was a guy named Philip Yancey who wrote a a book that became well-known among Christian circles. It was called What's So Amazing About Grace? And in that book, he talks about the experience that he had meeting a prostitute on the streets. And he was talking with her and sharing the faith with her. And when it was time for him to leave, he tried to encourage her to go to a church. He thought it would be a good experience for her. And this is what she said. She said, why would I want to do that? I already feel awful enough about my life. In her mind, walking into a room full of people would only accentuate her own failures and inadequacies. Perfect people. John tells us in that verse about knowing that we're sinners, that that is an example of self-deception. Denial is a deliberate refusal to face up to the facts It's choosing to live a fantasy world of delusion, even though everyone else around you can see the truth. Isn't that true? I know, again, in my own life, the many, many years that I thought I could just pick up the pieces and walk into church and pretend like I was fine, and it was written all over my face that I wasn't. We think that we're deceiving people, but whenever we let people get close, they see the true us. When we give the appearance of having no sin in our life, The truth of God can't live within us. No matter how spiritually mature we become, no matter how far we travel in our spiritual journey, the battle for sin in our life is always going to be there. We have a sinful nature. We struggle. And the more that we put on an image that it's not there, the less that God's truth can live in us. Many of us are familiar with a program that's called Celebrate Recovery, and it follows a lot of the same um, lines as Alcoholics Anonymous or Overeaters Anonymous or different things like that. And when you come to a program like that and you introduce yourself, you would start by saying, "Um, my name is Jen, I'm an alcoholic. And they don't do that because they want to wallow in their past or because they feel like that's not, that that's who they are. They do that because it's a reminder that this is something that we always struggle with. Even though we can put it aside, we can have victory in different areas, we will always struggle with our sin. C.S. Lewis has said, it's when we notice the moral filth in our lives that God is present in our lives. So accepting that we all struggle, every single one of us has some area in our life where we are currently struggling, and where we will always struggle. Second thing, there we go. God commands us to confess our sins to him and to one another. 
back to 1 John verse 1, 9, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we do that, God promises to forgive us from our sins. The basis of this promise is God's character. He's faithful. He's faithful in the sense that he's dependable. He's dependable to keep his promises. That means he's not going to change his mind about forgiveness. He's not going to look at us and say, well, that sin is really bad. And you already had a few last week. I'm not really sure I can cover them all. He will forgive us for anything and everything that we do. He promises this and his character of dependability makes that commitment possible. When we confess our sins to God, without a doubt, no matter where you're at, he will forgive you and purify you. Now, it's important to notice in this letter in 1 John that John is speaking to Christians. He has come to them at an earlier time and he has shared the gospel with them. They are Christians. These aren't people who have been sinning their whole life and they need to turn their life around. He's speaking to people who have already made the decision to follow Christ and who continue to make mistakes because we all make mistakes and we all fail. And the only way to have remedy from that is to confess our sins to God. Now in 1818, one in every six women who had a child died from something called childbirth fever. It's almost enough to make you not want to have kids. Back then, a doctor's daily routine started in the dissecting room. So the first thing they did, I can see some of your faces cringing already. So they went to the dissecting room, which is where they performed all of the autopsies. And from there, they went and made their rounds in the hospital, examining all of the women who were about to give birth. Now, no one at that point in time had ever thought of washing their hands. So they went from the autopsies right to the examining rooms. Along the way, a doctor named Ignatius Semwellwise, which let's be honest, they spent most of the week just trying to figure out how to pronounce that name. Ignatius Semwellwise began to practice strict hand washing in between the autopsies and the examining women. And wouldn't you know it, his rate of fatalities in childbirth went from 1 in 6 to 1 in 50. And yet his colleagues laughed at him. They thought it was ridiculous that he was wasting all of his time washing his hands. He said to them, childbirth fever is caused by decomposed material conveyed to a wound. I have shown how it can be prevented. I have proven all that I've said, but while we talk, 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 women are dying. I'm not asking for anything world-shaking, only that you wash your hands. Yet virtually no one believed him. Isn't this so much like our own lives, like our own sin? There's a failure to confess our sins in our life. It will result in a spiritual infection that will hinder our ability on our spiritual journey. So as we continue to live a life that's fake, we start to believe that it's okay to live a life that's fake. And 
Please don't hear me as being judgy because I speak from my own heart. I spent many, many years being a fake Christian. And the longer I did it, the more I began to fake and fake and fake. And when I came to a point of confessing that sin and turning it over to God, it was a very freeing experience. But it's not just confessing our sin to God. Because in James 5, 16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, as somebody who really struggles with people-pleasing and with being an achiever and wanting people to like me, the idea of having to share my sin with somebody else can be somewhat overwhelming. But God commands us to do that. And I think there's three reasons why he wants us to do that. The first one is that it causes us to seek out trustworthy people. So when you come to a point in your life where you are ready to go to somebody else, you're ready to deal with some of the denial that's been going on in your life, you're not just going to go to the person who you know is going to put your life on Facebook five minutes later. You're going to look for somebody who you can truly trust. Now, if you have any experience with the New Testament, then you will know who Paul is. And Paul uh, was a Christian who shared very openly about his experience of coming to salvation. But then Paul was also somebody who would share openly about the sin that he was struggling with. And Paul spent a lot of time ministering to people and sharing his story. And there was somebody in particular, Timothy, who he spoke to uh, and really developed and mentored. And so there's a term that says everybody should have a Paul and everybody should have a Timothy. And that just means everyone should have someone who's mentoring you, who's investing in your life, who's a little bit further down the road than you are. And everybody should have somebody who they're investing in and who they can help who's you're just a little bit further down the road than they are I think that's a really good practical advice as we deal with the sin in our life on a daily basis the second one is it encourages dependence on others if you're going to share your sin with somebody else you better be ready for them to ask questions and to encourage you and to help you work through that Uh, Rick Warren has quote, nope, I'm going to come back to that. Rick Warren says, wearing a mask wears you out. Faking it is fatiguing. The most exhausting activity is pretending to be what you know you aren't. So having somebody to hold you accountable, a friend that you can go to and say, you know what, I really struggle with this and I just need you to pray for me about it. I need you to know, I I have lots of friends who struggle with an eating addiction and they'll say things very practically like, can you pray for me on Friday night? I'm going to a party and there's going to be cake and I just don't want to eat the cake. So I need prayer for that. And uh, I have a great accountability partner and she's like the tiniest person ever, but she is a fireball. And I know that if I tell her something, she is going to be on me. And so I'll say, you know, I need prayer or I need you to ask me next Saturday if I did this thing I was going to do and I better be ready to do it because if I don't I am going to hear it from her so accountability from one person or from your life group or from your ministry team it's just really really important to help us grow in the areas we struggle with and the last one oh man I'm just 
screwing it up here. Okay, there we go. The last one is that we may be healed. Now, like I shared, uh, I struggled with a lot of different sins um, that I have taken some time over the last few years to to work through. And there are things in my life where if you had said to me five years ago, you're going to share that in front of a group of people or you're going to tell that to your closest friends. I never, ever would have believed you because I thought there are just some sins you just don't talk about. There's just some things that are not acceptable. Well, all sin is the same in God's eyes. It's not like we can say, well, it's okay to tell my small group that I lied, but there's no way I could tell them that I had an affair because in God's eyes, it's all the same. And so as we share, there is healing that comes with that. The first time I shared some things with some of my friends, it was an overwhelming sense of guilt and shame. And when they accepted me and didn't judge me, then it allowed me to open up to somebody else and to somebody else and to somebody else. So healing comes from sharing with other people. And the last thing, there is no, oh, there's the, now I skipped way too far. Can you fix it for me? Oh, that's the one I already saw. Okay, I'm just going to keep going. Uh, the last thing, and most important, as far as I'm concerned, is that when we are authentic with one another, Jesus gets the credit for the good in our life. In Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the verse says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that you have done. So none of us can boast about it. Like I shared, I'm an achiever. I'm very competitive and I'm a people pleaser. And I just like to be good at stuff. And so to know that there is absolutely nothing that I can do to earn my salvation is difficult for me to understand and to accept. And it has caused me to fail miserably in many ways in my life over the years. And what's so awesome about God is that he knows every degrading detail, every humiliating mistake, and yet he loves me anyways. He loves all of us, no matter what we've done. Despite God's thorough knowledge of the darkness of my soul, of the terrible things I've done, he loves me anyways. It reminds me of one of my favorite hymns, which has in the last 10 years become one of my favorite choruses because some awesome person redid it and made it great all over again. Here it is. And it says, I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, and he washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I, whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's lamb. And now complete in him my robe, 
my right, his righteousness. Clothes sheltered near his side, I am divinely blessed. Lord, now indeed I find thy power in thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. When from my dying bed my ransomed soul shall rise, Jesus died my soul to save, shall render the vaulted skies. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, I'll lay my trophies down, all down at Jesus' feet. I don't share my experience with you because I feel like my life is different or better than anybody else's, but because I want to follow the example that Paul has given us by sharing in his own weaknesses. God can transform all of us. And that when we look at the weaknesses in our lives, it magnifies God's grace. The moment that we forget what God has done for us, then we are on the brink of repeating all of those sins in our life. God knows our story, every detail of our story, and he loves us no matter what. In other words, there's nothing to be afraid of in being open and honest with each other. Christ's death on the cross made a provision for our every possible sin, Our failures don't take God by surprise as if he didn't know that we were going to fail already. When Christ died on the cross for our sins, he knew every sin that he would ever have to forgive in that moment. So as I've continued to work on my own over the last few years, God has brought a really important verse to me. Um, it's in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And this is Paul speaking, and it's right after that time where Paul has just shared about the thorn in his side, which people will speculate forever about what it is. But it's the sin that Paul is constantly dealing with. He's saying, forever and ever, no matter what, I'm going to continue to have this sin. And here's why. He says, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Many times in my life, especially over the last few years, I have felt like I was inadequate as a wife, as a mother, as a pastor. I've often thought, how can God still want to use me despite all of that bad stuff that I have done in my life? And then it occurred to me, that God knew all of that stuff was going to happen when he called me to be the person that he is. He knew I would do that when I married my husband. He knew that I would be that kind of a mom when I had kids. He knew that I would be who I am when I became a pastor. And despite knowing all those things about me, he still called me to be exactly where I am right now. Back when I was a kid, I had a button collection. As I was thinking about that, I'm like, I haven't seen a button collection in like 50 years, or at least 30. I'm sure my mom has it somewhere still, but I had a button, this tiny little button, and it had these letters on them. It said P-P-G-I-F-W-M-Y. And those letters were for, please be patient. God isn't finished with me yet. 
You know, the story of Frank Abagnale Jr. doesn't end with him being in jail for the rest of his life. He did serve five years in jail, and then he was released to work for the FBI. He now has his own organization called Abigail and Asso- Abagnale and Associates, a financial fraud consultancy company. So he is helping to get the very bad guys that he once was. He went on to help the FBI for many, many years. He was married. He has three children. Isn't it amazing how some of our greatest sins can lead us to our most meaningful accomplishments? Now, I have to say that this church is the most authentic experience I have ever had with other believers in my 35 years of life. And I don't believe that that has just happened by chance. I know that when I began to open up and share my struggles and to have authentic relationships, when I took the opportunity to do that with Raja and him to do that with me and with Marshall, that that began something where we said, we want a church that's authentic. That's why we do testimonies every week. That's why we have awesome people like Chrissy who get up and share about their life story because we all struggle. We all have sin. And we all want people to know how awesome Jesus is as a result of that. And so I will boast in my own weakness in order that God might be glorified. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to come before you broken and know that you will put the pieces of our lives back together that you have made each one of us who we are for a reason, and you have brought us to this time for a reason. I pray, Lord, that if there is anybody here today who just really needs to hear from you, whether they're still living in denial, whether they're struggling with confessing a sin to you, whether they're searching for an accountability partner or a mentor or somebody to be there in their life, or whether they just want to help other people come closer to you, that their lives would be an example, that your story would be told through each of our lives, Lord. We pray for authenticity in our church family. We pray that nobody would ever feel they have to come to UCC and be anything other than exactly what they are right now, right here. Thank you, Lord, for sending Jesus to die for us, that we could be free. I thank you for that freedom. I ask, Lord, that each person here would fully understand and grasp that freedom with you. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everyone. I'll hang out down here if you want to talk. And otherwise, have a great week, and we'll see you back next week.